church teachings tell us that a marriage entered into through the church is a covenant between the couple and God. And because of that, it is a lifelong contract. Cannot be broken in the same way a legal contract can. So an annulment at its simplest is an examination of a marriage. Many believe that Catholic annulment, though, is the church's form of divorce, but it is far more complex than that. Joining me today to help us understand this process is Thomas Sundaram. Thomas is an instructing judge for the Archdiocese of Portland, and he's joining me today to help us gain a better understanding about this process. Good morning, Thomas. Thanks so much for joining us today on The Morning Blend. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thomas, an instructing judge for the Archdiocese. Explain to our listeners a little bit about what your job is and about yourself, please. Yeah, so uh, before I start talking about what my job is, uh, I should probably explain more generally what canon law is for, because I think it's kind of important to situate everything. So uh, when it comes to the governance of the church, we have all that we have and all that we do for the sake of the salvation of souls from Christ giving us the sacraments. He endowed the church with the sacraments when blood and water flowed from his side at the crucifixion. Because of that, when you think about what it is that the church is for, in, uh, for example, in Lumen Gentium, it's for the sake of the salvation of souls, which we achieve through the giving of the sacraments. And the church is kind of like a charitable organization in that way. We have the sacraments, but they're destined to everyone. Everyone is to be uh, offered baptism. Everyone is to be, when they've been baptized, given the other sacraments according to their need, provided they're rightly disposed. And so that establishes a bond of justice between the church and the faithful, generally speaking. So when you think of it like that, you understand that there is a whole system that has to come around that in the church itself for its own administration and governance in order to provide for the needs that the faithful have in order to be saved. And so that is the purpose of canon law. Thomas, explain to us as an instructing judge what that means with regards to canon law. Yeah. So if two people get up in front of everyone and they proceed to give marital consent, make vows in front of everyone in a public ceremony, uh, let's say with a priest there, maybe outside the context of a Catholic ceremony, then it is generally something that we presume is a valid marriage. We presume that the two people who went into it are intending to go into something which essentially on some basic level matches up with what we understand marriage to be. But we know as human beings in society, we know there are situations where that doesn't happen. And when you have a situation in which uh, a person maybe entered into that covenant in a way that was unable to embrace the obligations inherent in that covenant, like they're effectively promising the impossible, or you have someone who was unwilling to take those obligations on and in fact uh, radically opposed them in how they understood what they were doing, then you have a problem for the coming to be of marriage because what they want isn't marriage, it's something else. Or maybe they just radically are incapable of entering into such an agreement. So what the tribunal examines on behalf of the church, which is the institution tasked with preserving the integrity of and the record concerning the natural and sacramental in Christ institution we call marriage, uh, when people believe that there is a problem with the consent that was present or not present at the time of their entering into the marriage, they can come to us and we have a system which we've established out of the need to recognize and fulfill 
the duty that we have both to uphold the truth concerning a marriage that may or may not have come to be, and the need to be able to do so with what we call moral certainty. And so we produce this whole process, but that is precisely to afford everyone the ability to be sure that when this process is finished, we can say with as much certainty as we're ever going to have, whether in fact a marriage came to be that day. And that is what the nullity process is about. And I am an instructing judge in that process, meaning that I render a vote at the end, but I also conduct the taking of testimony and evidence in that context. Okay. Wow. As something as important as marriages and how a covenant is designed to be between the couple and God, Obviously, and as you have so beautifully laid out, it is a complex thing. And it's wonderful to know that our archdiocese really has office like yours that walks with a person or with a couple to process through this. Thomas, you recently were at Holy Rosary Church and you you did a little bit of a discussion about annulments and it was quite a bit of a discussion for what I understand. And so we're going to talk a little bit about some of the questions that people had who were in attendance, some of the most common things that you know and understand to help clarify it. Every situation yeah. is different. We understand that. And we would always direct people to your office or to their parish for more help. But let's kind of talk about this in a broad umbrella. And let me ask you this first. Have you ever heard this before? An annulment okay. is just a Catholic divorce. What's I the difference? I have heard that too many times to count. Yeah. Uh, tell, I, tell our listeners at its basis how these two are actually different things. Okay. So often when I'm taking testimony from someone and I need to sort of inform them of the nature of the process, I will point out that the process we are engaging in is not a mallet, it's a flashlight. We aren't doing anything to a marriage that is there and is presumed to be there. Divorce in its most proper definition, and the civil process of divorce kind of presumes this attitude, but is a little more complicated because it's a, a legal process in the civil uh, life of society. Um, divorce in its most true form is the idea that the spouses themselves, within the context of a presumably valid marriage, have the ability, as part of this understanding of the marriage contract, to unilaterally or bilaterally dissolve the marriage in such a way that at some point, by their decision, it no longer exists, and they are able to remarry. Now, this is radically opposed to the nature of marriage, uh, as the church points out, uh, even when the capacity to remarry was afforded in the Old Testament, owing to, as Christ puts it, the hardness of the hearts of those mm -hmm. Moses was governing. Even in that situation, it was something that was considered an unfortunate dispensation. The difference between what we do and the idea of divorce is that we do a fact-finding expedition with evidence provided by different parties, by witnesses they bring, with expert opinions, with uh, anything that we need, documentary evidence, civil documents, anything that will make the case, or not make it, depending on how it may have an outcome, that the marriage itself did not come to be in the first place, such that we can say that this is proven as a matter of fact not something we do beyond reasonable doubt. There are circumstances in which, because of something the church establishes, a valid marriage doesn't come to be, 
such as, for example, the regulation of form, uh, the requirement that a Catholic marry before a priest and two witnesses comes to mind. That, however, is something that the church did in order to assure the freedom of the spouses to marry in a way that is presumably valid by making it clear that they have to recite specific vows so that they have to say what it is that is intended at the time of consent and so that there has to be a proper preparation situation preceding the marriage, a proper oversight of their freedom to marry, and generally an assurance of their capacity to be married to one another. And so we're only looking at what is. We're shining a flashlight on a reality. We're not taking a mallet to something. Thomas Sundaram is an instructing judge for the Archdiocese of Portland. We're talking today about the Declaration of Nullity with regards to marriage. Thomas, I've enjoyed our conversation so much, but I am coming up against my break. Please stay with me through the break so we can continue our discussion in the next half hour. And I am back with Thomas Sundarum. Thomas is joining me today as we talk about the process of annulment. Thomas, thank you so much for staying with me today. So, Thomas, for somebody who is going through this process of a declaration of nullity, has their marriage, as far as the eyes of the law, say the state of Oregon, have they received a divorce? Is that a necessary part of this process in a declaration of nullity? So there are two aspects of the decision uh, to get a divorce pursuant to getting a declaration of nullity that I want to examine here. And one of them is, is the tribunal uh, ever going to be encouraging someone to get a divorce? And the answer to that is no, we want people to commit to the best of their ability. Uh, as long as this is morally possible, this is not to say that people should stay in an abusive situation, that separation may not be merited or anything like that. We want people though, in the context of a marriage, which by law and morally is presumed valid until proven otherwise, uh, we want them to make sure that they do everything they can to try and repair difficulties in married life, work through the problems, get past the difficulties that they have in order to persevere in the vocation, which as far as they know, they may still be in since they haven't had a declaration indicating on the on behalf of the ecclesiastical authority that they are free to believe that they aren't married. Uh, so as far as people are concerned before they get to the point of an actual divorce, they should really be trying to work on the marriage. We understand that there are times when it's not possible to do so because of uh, very difficult and dangerous situations, the need to assure safety and so on, and the presence of the reality of the moral need at times for separation. But when you enter into a declaration of nullity, there has to be at least the moral verification that there's been an irreparable breakdown of the common life such that it is not at all plausibly likely or not reasonably likely that the parties will ever get back together, for example, and resume married life. And so we don't want people to divorce, but if they're going to be coming to us to say, I think my marriage was null, and therefore having to establish that there was that breakdown, this is the general conventionally established way of showing that. Thomas Suderum is joining me today. We are talking about this very complex idea of the Declaration of Nullity. Thomas, this is a lot. I understand it, you know, and what we were just talking about and how we look at divorce civilly. 
Sometimes the, both parties aren't necessarily ready to engage in this, where one person wants to enter into this process, the other one is going to go, oh, no way. I'm not doing this. I'm not helping you. This was an ugly process already. I'm done. What's the process for somebody then who is hoping and praying for a decree of nullity? When they come and seek out help through your office, what happens then? How much time are we looking at? What's involved in this whole process? When you come to a tribunal asking about your freedom to marry, the purpose of what we're doing is to render a just decision to which the parties are entitled concerning the sacramental status they have in the church. Are they in a marriage presumed valid or are they not? Are they free to marry or are they not? Is there anything that might actually indicate that this is the case? And what is the truth that the church is able to provide concerning that after a formal investigation? So then this process, though, uh, they they enter into this, uh, kind of just give our listeners a, an outline or a guideline as to the different steps involved right. in entering into the process. Yeah. So when someone believes that there is a reason to say that their marriage may be null, you know, they maybe they don't even know what that means yet. Typically, someone will go to their priest and they'll say, I'm a Catholic, I was divorced, or I want to marry a Catholic and I was previously married. Maybe they try and marry a Catholic and discover that this is a requirement uh, because they don't have to be Catholic in order to seek a declaration of nullity. It is a prerequisite for becoming Catholic in many cases if you're in a civil marriage or uh, seeking to receive the sacraments if you haven't been practicing for a while, if you're in a civil marriage, if you have a unique circumstance, uh, or or generally speaking of... of um, marrying a Catholic if you have been previously married or they have. And so it's one of those things where you might get anyone, they come to a Catholic church, they talk to the priest, or they they call the tribunal or the chancery, and they somehow find out that they need this process. And so they sit down with someone, usually a volunteer that we've appointed for the purpose uh, to be an advocate for them, and they help them fill out the packet of stuff that we need in order to initiate a case. And that, in the first place, is an occasion for them to think about what went wrong? What was the problem? Where might it have originated if it originated in consent? And what is the claim being made in very broad terms? It's not supposed to take 50 pages to do this part. It's meant to be you fill out the data that you have, and you provide a brief summary, what we call the libellus. And if there's what we call the fumus boni juris, the smoke of good law in the libellus, which is a very low bar to meet, then we tend to accept the case. And if the case is accepted, that little book, that libellus, is then sent to their former spouse, which is where a lot of the confusion comes up at the beginning. Okay. This is a judicial process, generally speaking. It is meant to make sure that everyone with an interest in making sure that the truth is told about a particular marriage is able to weigh in based on things that are said about it. And by with an interest, I mean specifically the spouses. There are, uh, There is a very important divine law requirement that we satisfy due process. God himself observes due process in the garden with the judicial summons of Adam and Eve, with uh, eliciting a judicial confession, even though he already knows that they've eaten the fruit. And classically, medieval canonists uh, have famously upheld that this means that due process is not something dispensable, but a matter of divine law. And so likewise, with that same gravity, we recognize that there is an imperative need to make sure that we afford both parties to a marriage equally the rights that they have in a process such as this. It affects them both equally. Uh, okay. Maybe it doesn't matter to them how it affects them, 
in particular cases, but it affects them both equally. And so what rights we afford to one spouse, we afford to the other. And that means when one spouse submits a petition alleging that the marriage is invalid, the other spouse has a right to see that petition and respond if they should so choose to do so, if we can find them by any means after a diligent search. And likewise, the petitioner in a case is expected to recognize that and help us to try and find the contact info of their former spouse to the degree that that's possible morally for them. And so we will recognize that these can be complicated, but this is the first sort of note about the process, that it engages both of the parties to a marriage. And so the next phase is just proceeding from that. You've made a claim about your marriage. Now you have to provide the evidence to substantiate it. You name witnesses. You have the establishment of the claims being made as being what the court is investigating, called the joinder. You have uh, the period of the instruction phase, which is where the evidence is actually collected. Uh, people schedule depositions, and we contact them, whether in person or via Zoom. Uh, we send out written questionnaires where it's absolutely necessary. And then we have what's called the we have the capacity to seek psychological experts, we have the capacity to seek public documents, whatever else that might seem necessary or fitting for the case. And then we have what's called the publication phase, so that everyone has a chance, the, the, the spouses and their advocates have the chance to see what it is that's been said about the marriage and respond to it and potentially submit new and grave evidence if necessary, uh, so that we can make sure that the whole thing is complete. We can give everyone a chance to weigh in as much as they're going to about everything. When that's finished, uh, then it proceeds to what's called the conclusion phase. And the conclusion is kind of like your final arguments by the lawyers, if you will, by the advocates and by the parties and by the defender of the bond, who also plays a very important role in keeping us honest, meant to argue always in favor of the validity of the marriage uh, that is against the claim of nullity. And uh, the defender of the bond examines everything that's come in, come in, gets the last word after any replies and has the capacity to appeal. So we have a whole judicial process that builds out of this to make sure that we are honest about it. And then when that's done, we decide and then write the sentence and issue that. And then there's the capacity for appeal. And then there's the capacity for appeal to third instance, if that wow. is something they need to do. But Thomas, obviously, through all that we've had in this discussion today, because it is so complex to mm -hmm. get this declaration of nullity only validates the importance that a marriage is in the life of a couple and especially in the life of the church. So for a, somebody who is listening, who wants more information in this process, how can they, uh, where should they go to find that? And how can they maybe get to your office for questions? So our esteemed and excellent notaries who are intimidatingly good at their job are always available for phone calls if people are curious about the process and they can also refer people to folks at their local parish who are trained by us to be advocates and who are able to speak to them about it. We can assign people someone to help them prepare the case, as we often do. Uh, likewise, they can go to their local pastor and chances are there is an advocate stably appointed at the parish or, or their local priest and they'll know who that is and can refer them to it. And uh, generally speaking, if there are questions of law outside even the context of marriage nullity sometimes, uh, we are always willing to be at the service of the faithful to the degree that there's no conflict of interest. And um, generally speaking, we want to be at the service of people who want to understand their rights and their obligations in the life of the church.
Excellent. Well, Thomas, I really appreciate your time today. And thank you so much for all that you do for our archdiocese, especially for our couples who are going through this process now. Thanks for your time today. And again, that is Thomas Sundaram. I will include information that we were just talking about and information about his office. You're going to find that link on the podcast of this interview, materdayradio.com and the Hail Mary media app.